Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. David, I've been singing your praises. You're founder and CEO of Kind Banking. And you hear, hear, uh, you gave me a wonderful title when we talked yesterday. Marijuana uh, is the new frontier for America. But before we get into that, uh, David, I'd love for you to um, tell a little bit about your background before we get into the subject. Sure, Don. Uh, I'm originally from Philadelphia. I sit here today from Los Angeles. Uh, my family and I moved here in 2013 to start Kind Banking. Um, predominantly, my career has been, been spent in the real estate industry uh, since 1995. I stepped out of that in 2012, and I was looking for my next uh, adventure in life and what I was going to do next. And uh, lo and behold, my wife and I started doing some research, and we came across the emergence of the cannab- legal cannabis industry. And we were watching a program uh, in the fall of 2013, 2012, I'm sorry. And, you know, it, w- it was very interesting, very topical. They talked about, um, at that point, there were 16 states in the United States that had medical marijuana laws. This is before Colorado and Washington had recreational um, and we were looking, uh, it just made no sense to us how there could be this billion-dollar industry at the state level and really no financial backbone in the industry. Well, well David, I gave you the theme. You gave it to me, rather, when you said about the, uh, um, uh, about the new frontier. What do you mean by that? If we sit back and look at this objectively and say to ourselves, what's taking place in America today? I, I think it's very easy to say to ourselves, if you take out your, your, your check boxes and say, what, either, what other industry in America today um, makes their product in America, creates jobs, creates tax revenue? There's so many positives about the legal cannabis industry that it, it, it's really hard to shy away from. It's opportunistic. People who got uh, lost a lot in the recession in 2008 and 2007 are starting their lives over, and this really gives the opportunity. I mean, the, the last thing I, – I use the analogy all the time that this is the 1920s and alcohol prohibition all over again, and if we all sat back and had an opportunity to make investments in our, you know, back in time – I think a lot of us would be, you know, thinking very heavily about, you know, investing in that industry. Um, it's a growth model. I mean, look at the industry today. You know, the numbers are all over the place. Anywhere you can see numbers anywhere from two billion to four billion. But the reality of it is, 
we're sitting here today with 24 states in the District of Columbia that have that have medical laws. We have four states in the District of Columbia that have passed recreational, and you know all the all the all the forecasts for this industry are you know growth up to 20, 25, 35 million dollars by two by 2020. So it's a catalyst for this country. Yes, does it solve all the problems? Obviously not. Not, 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 not. No one thing can solve everyone's problems or the country's problems. But from job growth to tax revenue to you know entrepreneurs being able to start new businesses, uh, there's there's very little else in the United States other than cannabis that that, that shines that light on that today. Well, well, you 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 know I sit on the medical marijuana dispensary board, but we're a nonprofit. But you're really on because, uh, as far as I can determine, you've come up with a new model that anybody thinking of going into marijuana, either as as a grower, should really know about you. So tell us a little bit about what you want to do. I appreciate that, Don. Yeah, so we are setting out to be the you know the the first full service financial platform for the cannabis industry. You know what does that mean? Today in the cannabis industry, uh, you can't go to a bank and get a loan. Uh, you can barely go to a bank and make a deposit. Um, I would say 99% of the transactions in this industry um, take place via cash payment. Um, so what we're setting out to do is to transform the industry. We're coming out with a merchant service program that we hope to launch uh, sometime in April. And what that's going to be, what, what that will do is. It's going to remove cash from an actual transaction, right? It'll be a virtual payment, just like we use your uh, debit cards today, or your, you know, your your iPhone or your Android phone, and make a digital payment or electronic payment. Um, it is going to solve the uh, security issues and the theft issues, and just the fear of having, you know, these dispensaries have all these, you know, literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash in their store. Um, so we're really, really excited about launching our merchant service program. We're also going to come out with uh, later this year with a uh, we call it kind financing. Um, it's going to enable you know we'll be able to make uh, debt as well as equity equity investments into the individual businesses in this industry and enable natural growth. Um, you can't get an SBA loan today. You can't get a regular bank loan today. I mean the banks that are taking deposits, which are few and far between. Um, they're having a hard enough time getting comfortable making, you know, allowing a deposit to take place, let alone lending to this industry. Um, we're also working uh, on an insurance offering. So basically what we're trying to do is, you know, our, our, our company mantra is this. If you're in the cannabis industry, you should be able to operate your business just like you would in any other industry today. So what we're coming in is we're stepping in and saying, we're going to provide merchant services. We're going, to re- we're going to take cash out of your store. We're also going to be able to lend you money or to invest in you so you can enable your, 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 your natural growth rate, right? If you have one store, you want to go to three. You have three stores, you want to go to six. Uh, if you're in the edible business and you're working from home and you, make, you have a great product and it makes sense, you know, we can give you the infrastructure around you to enable you to grow into a manufacturing plant or whatever that, whatever that natural next step is. And we can also insure you. Uh, you know, there's a lot of issues with edibles and other products, as far as product liability and product liability insurance. And uh, excuse me. And you know, we're looking to solve that problem. So what we want to do is create this platform where, if you're in the cannabis industry, you can come to it, come to us, and we can solve most of your problems. We're not going to be able to take your deposit, 
Um, but with our relationships that we have in this industry, uh, I could probably set you up with a bank account as well. Well, let's go back a minute and let, for our audience make it clear. Under federal law right now, uh, marijuana is considered a class uh, uh, class Schedule A. Schedule one. Uh, Schedule one drug, yes. Yeah, and so dealing with it in any shape or form is uh, illegal under federal law. And what uh, these states have done have permitted uh, uh, people to operate uh, under their state law, and the federal government has, in effect, said, we're going to look the other way. But it's still, you're dealing uh, with essentially an illegal uh, drug. Uh, yeah, this, so, this industry is definitely not for the faint of heart, yes. And um, it's interesting... Um, I was talking to someone subsequent to our discussions yesterday, and you can't even go into bankruptcy court, uh, federal bankruptcy court, because uh, if you want to declare bankruptcy, because you're an illegal operation. And that's been uh, another problem. So you're kind of dealing in a neither world, and you're coming in and saying, I'm going to take the risk, if I'm hearing you correctly. I'm going to take the risk, and I'm going to deal with you. And what's more, I'm going to uh, provide you with uh, one of the things that people most need, which is uh, a credit card, the ability to take a credit card. Am I correct? Yes. Let, let, let's walk through what you just said. I think it's really important that everyone in your audience understands that, understands this. Yes, at the federal level, marijuana is a Schedule One drug. It's treated just the same as cocaine and heroin. It, it's, it's, you know, it's obviously illegal. Um, Several states, as we know, up to 24 as of today, ha have passed at the state level uh, legalized medical marijuana, and four, four states in D.C. have passed recreational. So what does that really mean? So what it, what it means is, let's back up. So the Attorney General in, in 2013 in the fall came out with a doctrine or a memo saying, you know, we're not going to sue Washington, we're not going to sue Colorado, you know, we're going to sit back and we're going to watch and make sure that as long as you're complying with your state law, and obviously, you know, that means, you know, going through the investigative exams and getting licenses and such, you know, we're going to take a laissez-faire approach to that. Then they took, it, they took it a step further in February of 2014. They, uh, FinCEN, which is the Department of Treasury, issued an outline of, of a memo to the financial institutions in America saying, if you choose to operate or if you choose to do business with cannabis um, customers, here are you know, three pages of rules and regulations that you, know, you should adhere to. So that, that really was supposed to be the catalyst for the banking industry to, to work with this industry. Obviously, um, every bank in the country is insured at some different level, whether you're a credit union or you are a state-chartered bank, or obviously if you're a federally chartered bank, you have to deal with you know, FDIC and Treasury and FinCEN and all the different departments you know, that, that regulate banking. But they issued this memo and gave guidelines. And what you've seen since February of 2014, and we're, almost, you know, we're sitting here a year later, um, there are quite a few banks. Uh, you know, I've seen numbers from 10 to 25 to 50 to 100. You know, I think the real number is around 20, 25 banks that are beginning or have or are taking deposits. Uh, most of those banks are either credit unions or state chartered banks. Uh, I, I don't know actually of any federally chartered banks who are taking deposits. 
because um, they have, you know, inter- interstate commerce issues that they have to deal with. So, you know, and taking a step further, in the, in the summer of this past year, um, you know, Congress passed the, the spending budget the, the, for, for 2015, and they defunded the DEA and Department of Justice in going after uh, state-compliant uh, dispensaries and medical marijuana patients. So the federal government hasn't changed law, um, but the federal government has given the industry, you know, broad stroke outlines of how they can operate under, you know, a pseudo-compliance. But until the law is changed, you're 100% correct. We all have to tread very carefully. Um, if a new administration comes in in 2016, well, obviously a new administration will come in in 2016, but depending upon who that administration is, they could obviously say, okay, we have a different opinion, and everyone who is operating is operating illegally, and you have a month to close your store. I mean, that, that obviously is a reality, and the entrepreneurs who are getting into this industry have to deal with that. You know, they, that's part of their underwriting and due diligence, and, and do they want to get into this space or not? Um, that's really where it is. I mean, I hope I answered your question okay on that one. Well, if, uh, if you're a small business, if you're thinking, or if you're thinking of going into it, you've got to take all of these things into consideration. And But on the, the plus side of all of this is, uh, quite frankly, it's a very lucrative business. Uh, I know our own dispensary, uh, despite some early problems, is now operating in the black. Um, and believe me, we've made every mistake possible. Um, uh, what should, should a of someone thinking of going in, or even currently in it, be really considering in all of this? You know, people that I talk to, the first thing I always say to anybody is make sure you have an incredible legal team because when you're starting any business in the world, let alone a business that that treads along on a gray line, um, you have to make sure you're doing everything above board and properly. You know, I like to use the word compliant, transparent, but these are all very important mottos in this industry. Um, you know, ideas are great. Um, execution is a whole other thing. And, and, and you know, you, you have to have the credibility and the structure and the legal team behind you in order to, what I believe, is to play in the right space. Uh, I think that's a huge barrier to entry. Um, just like, you know, financial sector, um, there are a lot of lawyers who will not participate in this industry due to legal reasons. Uh, there are some lawyers who take the opinion that you could be aiding and abating, um, and, you know, the American Bar Association has not done anything yet to clarify their position on a national level. They have on state levels, like Colorado's uh, AB, uh, Bar Association's made changes and things like that, but you haven't seen anything at the ABA level, on the national level, to, to allow these lawyers to work in your, in your space. But that all being said, um, and you went through this, Don, or at least the, you know, the, the dispensary that you're, that you're on the board of went through uh, the process of getting a license, and you know that is no easy task. Uh, the due diligence and background checks, and where the money's coming from, is is a um, a, a true test. Um, to, these people who have licenses, they're, they're not bad people. These are all good people. These are all entrepreneurs looking to um, take advantage of, a, of, a, of, a, of emerging markets. But the reality of it is, yes, it's it's illegal at the federal level, and you have to be very careful. But to me, um, the legal component to this is one of the most important challenges that people sometimes don't pay attention to. Well, um, believe me, uh, New Jersey is the the most heavily regulated of all of the states offering it, and uh, 
the background check I went into was so thorough. Uh, uh, it actually found a, 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 a case that, uh, that I was sued that not even my attorney or my accountant knew about from many years ago. <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, but I'm thankful for it now. No one can black, blackmail me. Uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> there's one good thing in my life. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, you know, the other side of this, uh, and the reason I'm in, in it, is medical marijuana really works. Uh, you know, the, we we have a video on our website uh, of patients uh, who who it's helped, and we we see it more and more um, uh, each day. Uh, our problem: there are more than 800 strains, as you know, of marijuana. And different strains affect different uh, illnesses. And by the way, uh, there are uh, uh, major ones. Uh, it certainly it eases pain, end of life. Uh, it's for people who have pain from uh, neurological pain. Uh, it helps uh, young people, etc. I mean, I'm putting in a plug for it because I I truly believe in it in uh, medical marijuana. I don't believe in recreational marijuana, but I do believe in uh, medical marijuana because I, I've seen how positive it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, rea- the reality, and I think the reality and, and what we owe a lot of credit to in this industry, I personally believe, is you know Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay Gupta was completely transformed, changed his opinion on medical cannabis, um, and I think, you know, Somebody who was, you know, asked to be the attorney, the uh, Surgeon General of the United States, obviously has pretty much has a lot of credibility, and you know he's done two episodes on CNN called Weeds and Weeds Two, and I think he's shined such a positive light on medical cannabis, and I think if you look back to when his episodes aired. Uh, after his episodes aired, you would see progression on different state levels of, of new bills being introduced for medical marijuana. I think what Sanjay Gupta has done for the industry, you could almost equate to um, the Oprah effect. You know, if, you're, if you have a book and you wrote a book and you're on Oprah, you know, that book's going to be a bestseller. And if you look what Sanjay's done for medical cannabis, on purpose or not, I, I think he's, you know, shined an extremely positive light on the industry. Um, that's how I feel about it. Obviously, you know, the, the coolest part for me in this industry is meeting all the people who are in it. And they are incredibly smart people. And they are intelligent, bright business people who are coming from other industries into this industry. Um, and the growers that I've met are just, they're basically scientists. And a lot of the people in the industry, especially the early, the early adopters, who I've met at these seminars and conferences, these are, they're survivors. They're people who have had debilitating diseases, have, you know, cancer, PTSD, MS, whatever disease you want to talk about. And these individuals, just like you said, Don, I mean, they truly believe in in the medicinal value of marijuana. I look forward to the day when the FDA is allowed to really fully do tests on this and and vet it and see where we we are. Well, the the good thing is that they have uh, uh, authorized four, four pilot programs already. And uh, as you know, in other countries like Israel and France, they, they, uh, there are numerous studies underway. 
And some yeah, of Israel, are- Israel, Israel is at the forefront. Um, a lot of people don't realize uh, Israel is probably the number two technology sector behind Silicon Valley, and uh, Israel is probably the number two uh, medical cannabis uh, industry behind uh, United States. Um, and London and, and Britain as well, with, G, with GW Pharmaceuticals, who's doing some cutting edge research as well. Yeah. Well, um, uh, could you you summarize for our audience some uh, some of the uh, your your, uh, your thoughts, what they should should do, and some of the resources perhaps that you know uh, that they should look for um, uh, if they're thinking of uh, uh, getting into the medical marijuana. Oh, into the marijuana field. I only think of it as medical marijuana, but but there is recreational, and there are states where it's uh, uh, really booming. So, uh, what other thoughts do you have? You know, I guess my personal thoughts are this: um, it's a very, very exciting time. Um, it's a very exciting time, both personally and professionally, for me, as well as my company, as well as the opportunity that that. Uh, medical cannabis or recreational cannabis is providing to America today. Um, that, that's what I. That's what I overarching feel. Um, I think it's a industry that is here and going to be here for a long time. Uh, it's not going away. We're almost at 50% of the United States have you know have some form of legalization. You're going to start seeing more and more countries globally adopting this. Um, this is going to become a global business. Um, we should welcome it. I, I think it does. I, you know, I think it does need to be regulated. I think that, you know, you know, people make the comparison uh, to alcohol. Um, there are a lot of people, obviously, because alcohol was outlawed in, 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 at some point in the United States, just like cannabis was legal at some point in the United States, and it became it became illegal. So I think people have to, um, and I think we're much more socially forward thinking today. So I think that. The country, very slowly, it's not going to happen very quickly, but I think that the adoption rate is going to happen. I think in 2016, well, I should say in 2015, this is going to be a huge, a huge, a huge political issue that we're all going to get a chance to voice our opinion on. I don't know how you can run for president in this country in today's, in today's climate and, and not have to give your position on how you feel about medical marijuana or recreational marijuana. And I think the old... The old comparison of, you know, did our president inhale or smoke or whatever, I think that's going to go to the side because I, I don't think that matters anymore. I don't think it matters if a president running today indulged or didn't indulge. I think the most important question we can ask the person running for president is, what's your position on medical marijuana? Because it is creating jobs. It is creating tax revenue. It's all made in the United States. Not only is it made in the United States, it has to be made or produced in the state that you live in. So um, it checks so many positive boxes that it's something that, you know, it, whether you're for it or against it, you're going to have to start learning about it and understanding it. And I think it's very difficult for people to swallow um, the idea that it is medically beneficial. But I've spoken to a lot of people who have changed their mind, who are willing to listen. And, you know, I think that I think when the FDA, like you mentioned earlier, has those four pilot tests, I think when the results start coming in, you're going to start seeing positive feedback. And the fact that at the end of the day, um, yes, there is, you know, the argument always is in the comparison is, is it safer than alcohol or not safer than alcohol? And I can tell you that my personally, I believe it's safer than alcohol. I'd rather my children, if they're going to indulge in something, I'd rather them indulge in marijuana in, in, in 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 a, you know, controlled environment. But I'd rather them, um, 
use cannabis as opposed to uh, drinking alcohol and getting in a car and driving and having the opportunity to, to really hurt people. So I think this is an opportunity for everybody. I, you know, I think everyone, sh- if you don't want to be in the industry, which I completely understand, I think you should at least read up and, and, and learn about the ups and downs and pitfalls and, and the, good thing, the good things about marijuana because it's something that we're all going to be talking about as, as the election season gets closer. I, I uh, heartily agree with you. Um, you know, we've come a long way from when President Clinton said he only inhaled two cigarettes. But he didn't, no, <laughs> he didn't inhale, if you remember that. Uh, and, and now we're, we're talking about that. I might also point out that we, are, we at the uh, 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 Compassionate Care Foundation of New Jersey, uh, and, uh, together with... Um, Atlantic County, today it became a university, are are doing an ongoing study on the the effects of our patients on it. And uh, I'll give you one interesting statistic. Uh, So far, of the first 300 patients, 87% of them reported improvement in their conditions, uh, starting from a, a level of average two, to now a level level of an average six, well, I, and I think that uh, I think that's phenomenal. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I've heard, you know, I've heard another you know another analogy that uh, you know if the marijuana plant was found in the Amazon today, um, the person who found it would run back with it, saying, you know, I found the next miracle plant. Um, <laughs> you know what. Whether I agree with that or not, you know, these are the things that I hear every day, and you know, it's hard to turn your, turn away from that. You know, that that's a great illustration. I have to use uh, myself because you're absolutely right. You know, they also say that about aspirin. If it was discovered today, it would be a controlled drug. But uh, 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 if people want to reach you or talk to you or, or know any more about you, how do they do it? Uh, yeah, uh, it's actually an interesting time for me. Um, my current website is www.kindbanking.com, and all of our contact information is on there. Um, but everyone listening should know that we are changing our name um, <laughs> probably later this week. Um, hopefully you guys will read about it, but we are uh, changing our name to Kind Financial. Um, we found that you know we, we don't want any uh, confusion in the marketplace about who we are or what we're doing. And since we are creating a financial platform, we are changing our name. So um, for now, for today, for tomorrow, we are kindbanking.com. But in the very near future, we will be um, kind.financial. You can find us on the web. Um, same thing for Facebook and for Twitter, and, and, and we're out there. So, yeah, please you know, call, email, submit your questions, stay in touch, follow us on social media. Um, it's a very exciting time for everyone involved in this industry, us included. Will you spell out your name? Uh, my personal David, name? I'm sorry. Radio. Yes. My last name is spelled D-I-N-E-N-B as in boy, E-R-G. First name, David. Oh, and uh, uh, I had another comment, but uh, it went out of my mind. Uh, but, oh, I know what it was. How did you come up with the name Kind? <laughs> well, you know, at the end, <laughs> it's a funny question, Don. So, kind banking, kind financial, you know, 
those names don't go together. I mean, most people don't find banking or dealing with finance kind. Uh, <laughs> but as you probably are aware, uh, Don, kind has in in in, my, in our name, kind has a double entendre, which is. Um, from a corporate perception, you know, we want to partner with this industry. We, we want to be, you know, your partner in your growth. Um, we want to be there for you, and we care about the industry. So that's how kind uh, means for professionally. Um, but in addition, as we, you know, those who know, um, kind is also, uh, as, you know, I hate to use the word slang, but, you know, very high-quality, good marijuana is also known as kind. So, um, we have, we're very lucky to have a great name. It's a double entendre, uh, but you know we mean it both ways. Which is, you know, we care about this industry very much. We're looking forward to partnering with the merchants and consumers in this industry, um, and you know, also we hope to be, you know, the best of what we do. Therefore, kind uh, makes makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, I, I learned something new today. I didn't know that about kind as a marijuana. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a great thing about uh, I find about this program. I learned so much. Uh, I, I learned so much from it. Uh, thank you, and we're definitely going to have you back on, David. And when you're in uh, near New Jersey, we want you to come down and see our facility in Egg Harbor, New Jersey. Oh, I would love to do that, Don. And thank you very much for having me on the show today. I'll come, you know, I'd love to be back on. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, and that that was David. Steinberg. Our next guest is Terry Lutz. Uh, he's here because he's got some interesting opinions that uh, I, I thought our audience should know a little bit about. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce Terry and ask him the usual question I ask every one of our guests. Tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we go into anything else. Uh, sure, uh yeah, more than happy, and thanks, uh, thanks for having me on here. And uh, it's really uh, honored to be uh, on your show here. And yeah, so basically, uh, I'm a radio show talk host myself, been an attorney, a serial entrepreneur, and I'm pretty much on uh, just somebody like yourself who's concerned about the direction of the country, who's really alarmed that the uh, pretty much the progressive left has been able to do what they've done without any serious debate or discussion about their objectives. And, you know, the latest example of what's happened with these so-called police killings is just a perfect example of, uh, of how the country has gone, um, gone down this path to what probably is chaos and destruction without a serious uh, debate and without any serious understanding of, of what exactly is going on. Well, you know, uh, this, is, this is our first program uh, in 2000, and certainly 2014 was uh, very interesting. What do you see happening based on all this as we enter the new year? Yeah, well... Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think uh, the Republicans taking over the Senate and the House, if they don't use their power to uh, confront the uh, president at every opportunity, it will be power that's more or less useless. If they're just going to join him at the table and 
allow him to circumvent the Constitution, uh, which is what uh, presidents have been doing for the past 50 years in one form or another, you know, then what was the point of the whole endeavor? We're just going to get more of the same. And I don't see them, uh, I don't see them defunding Obamacare. I think it's, I think uh, what he says, the president says is true, that it is the law of the land, that nobody is stepping up to the plate. And, um, you know, they're not going to do it. And, okay, so the reason they were elected in 2010 and why the House turned Republican was to get rid of Obamacare, and they did absolutely nothing towards that end. The reason, a large reason why the Senate has been uh, turned Republican is to get rid of Obamacare and other other objectives, other policies that have been implemented by the president that the country finds obnoxious and repugnant. And if they're not going to do it now, when are they going to do it? And the answer is probably never. And at the rate they're going, I think that the country is heading towards a third party. And, <laughs> you know, it's uh, where we go from then is anybody's guess. Well, um, uh... I happen to share some of your views uh, on uh, on what's happening, and uh, I, I think uh, you know we're, we're all speculating on what the Republicans uh, will do. Uh, I seem to have a um, a little bit more faith in Mitch McConnell and uh, the Speaker that they will be able to uh, demonstrate that the Republicans can govern and and uh, save. You don't throw everything out of uh, the baby with the bathwater, as we used to say, but maybe there are parts that we save. But, um, you know, we're facing a new reality now with the uh, president's deal on uh, 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 recognizing Cuba. Uh, You know, as someone told me recently, uh, it's his uh, gambit to solidify the Democratic support by Latinos. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, um, it's a policy that goes back to Kennedy, uh, to the Kennedy administration, and the uh, actually, I guess, maybe it goes back to Eisenhower. I don't know. I think Kennedy did the embargo uh, kind of when I was uh, in diapers. But uh, Whenever it goes back to, um, you know, let's face it, uh, hasn't been successful in bringing down the Castros. Um, probably it was time to get rid of it. And at this point, uh, you know, the country is 90 miles off the coast of the U.S. And maybe having waves of American tourists with the latest technology and uh, with dollars is going to do more to undermine the uh, the communist uh, regime there, the Castro regime or the post-Castro regime, than anything else. But thinking that just banning trade with Cuba is going to somehow uh, put an end to that regime just ain't going to happen. And, you know, but on the other hand, having this guy do it unilaterally without any discussion with anybody is not the way that, American, you know, important American foreign policy should be decided. Let's face it, right? I mean, it just shouldn't be done this way. 
and uh, it's just like immigration and other things. You know, he's got a pen and he's got a phone and he just does things. And although the embargo is certainly an example of executive action, uh, I don't remember if there was congre- a congressional vote on the embargo, uh, but embargoes seldom ever achieve their desired ends. And, you know, we've got a whole messed up, uh, a whole messed up policy, uh, Don, with, with sugar subsidies and uh, keeping out uh, Cuban goods that's not doing anyone any good. So uh, I don't like the way he went about it. Like, I don't like the way he goes about anything. But the policy outlived its usefulness, so it's time to move beyond it. Uh, and, you know, look, look at the current state of the United States here. Uh, erosion of civil rights and mass spying on citizens. Every citizen, you're a target, I'm a target. Um, and both parties embrace this. So how much better is the country than Cuba? Granted, we don't throw people in jail yet for having contrary uh, political views, but how much further is that off in the future? Uh, I think we've lost the moral superiority or a large portion of it uh, that we once possessed as far as the Cuban regime, which is a murderous thugocracy that has killed tens of thousands of political opponents and alleged political opponents. But we've lost some of the moral high ground here, Don. So, you know, the U.S. ain't what it used to be in terms of, you know, the land of the free and the home of the brave. So maybe this is just where it's heading. Well, I have to tell you two things. Uh, Once, uh, since this program is a small business program, um, uh, that uh, there's a whole new cottage industry going to grow up, but all of those ancient cars in Cuba um, are going to make instant millionaires of Cubans who own them. Oh, yeah. And and the the other thing that uh, was to me is uh, it's a neat way for President Obama to get rid of uh, Guantanamo Bay by simply turning it back to the Cubans. So that, I think, <laughs> will require congressional action. And, and you know, he made a campaign problem, promise to uh, close it, but this might be, a, 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 someone told me this is the backdoor way for him to achieve it. <coughs> but uh, uh, Terry, you you you've been an entrepreneur. You've been a. What are the lessons you've learned in life about being a good entrepreneur? I'm here, Don. Are you there? I'm sorry. Yes, I am. We lost, we lost you. Somehow yeah. we lost. You. So yep, I'm here now. My, my question was, um, um, as an entrepreneur, what have you learned over life? Um, uh, that uh, you would like to impart to our audience? 59% well, of our presidents and our leaders. You know, uh, being a serial entrepreneur, it's been the best experience of my life, and at times it's been the worst. Um, it's a roller coaster. It, it's uh, Sometimes you wonder why you're doing it, especially in the current 
economic environment where the government has totally turned on the private sector and, you know, where basically the current administration and the one before it to some extent had totally repudiated all reasonable economic uh, principles and laws and totally denied their existence. But on the other hand, you know, being an entrepreneur means taking control of your fate, uh, putting your money where your mouth is, and making a statement and taking a stand. And if you're not willing to do those things, you shouldn't do it. But it is the greatest thing in the world. And, you know, it's why countries live and expand and become prosperous. And when you lose it, it's why they die. And, you know, there's nothing else in the world I'd rather do. I'm fourth generation entrepreneur, Don. Uh, great-grandparents came here from uh, over in Europe, uh, various places, and, uh, you know, they became entrepreneurs, uh, never worked for anybody, and managed to keep the bloodline pure until my children were all working for corporations, and I totally don't understand it. I feel like I didn't teach them anything. But sum it up, entrepreneurialism, what made the country great, not working for big corporations, and, you know, in times like this, you know, if you can find the right niche and you can keep your values, you can still make it regardless. You know, you brought up an interesting point, Terry. Uh, we, we have found in our studies and talking to other people that a lot of children of entrepreneurs don't want to go into family businesses. There are more family businesses available today at any time in the, in the last uh, 15 years, you, know, uh, you, you wonder why they don't want to continue it or go out on their own. Do you have any thoughts on that, Terry? Yeah, well, you know, um, let's face it. Uh, when you're in a family business, now, I've been in a bunch of different ones, uh, with family members and without family members and the ones without family members much better much more satisfying uh, family members you bring all of your family baggage there and um, you know it's not unusual for families to be torn apart by conflicts in family businesses and even if everybody's honest and above board and does what they're supposed to do there still can be resentments that build up in family businesses and uh, really come up and and really injure family relationships. And I believe, and I think you do too, Don, that family relationships are the most important thing in this world because you have your friends and they may or may not be with you through tough times, but your family you keep those relationships intact, your family will always be with you through thick and thin. But you, you go in a family business and things blow up and you go through these conflicts and you injure those relationships and then you can't count on your family. It's really bad. So a lot of children have seen these ups and downs and they've seen their uncles and their fathers have falling outs that last throughout a lifetime. And and they see the uh, hardships and the pains of making a payroll, and they say it's not for me, even though 
even though now the business might be prosperous and uh, and their families might be doing quite well, they made the decision, you know what, uh, I'd rather go work in a corporation where I don't have to worry about the paycheck at the end of the week. But I believe that the security and the uh, compromises that they make there, the, false, the security that they think they're getting is a false sense of security. And the compromises that they make, uh, you know, the trade-offs, they're not really getting what they think they're getting. So I think it's a failure on the part of the parents to really communicate the benefits of entrepreneurialism and family businesses and to explain to them the sacrifices that have been made and why they're worthwhile uh, and how the how the benefits outweighed the uh, outweighed the burdens. I agree with you. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, I've been on the corporate side and I'm on the entrepreneur side, and I always prefer the entrepreneur side. But then again, as you keep saying, the world has changed. Uh, if our um, listeners want to talk further with you or uh, uh, learn a little bit more about you. Uh, tell us how they can. Oh, sure. Uh, well, got a website and I have a internet radio show. Uh, you can find both on financialsurvivalnetwork.com. You can sign up for our free newsletter there. We got free webinars going on all the time. We got one later on this month about precious metals that you really should take a look at. And you can always send me an email at khl at kerrylutz.com, khl at k-e-r-r-y-l-u-t-z.com. And, you know, love to talk to anybody, love to mentor up-and-coming entrepreneurs because they're the future. And uh, there's just such a wealth of opportunity and experience and uh, and just great things that are out there if you're willing to just, just uh, jump into the uh, shark tank, as it were. Well, uh, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, we're going to invite you back next year to talk further, maybe make you uh, one of our regulars. Hey, love uh, to. And <laughs> it's really fun. Uh, always enjoy speaking with you too, Don, and uh, great luck with the show. You, you got it. You, you too, Barry. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these 
by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.